I've never actually looked at what the statistic is on that. I think because I'm kind of scared to know. And I don't know if I wished this into existence, but I remember sitting there in his office and, t and saying like, okay, I will, I will do this for five years. And at five years, I'm going to wean off and I'm going to be that statistic. Like I'm the, I'm the guy, I'm going to be that one in a million. How's it going, everybody? Tom here from Dad Strong with another episode of our interview show. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Really hope you're going to get something worthwhile out of this show and the others. If you haven't listened to the show before, go back and check some of our other episodes. Really amazing guys being on this podcast. Really want to say thank you to all those gentlemen that have given up their time to be on this show. If you've been with me for a while, thanks so much for your support, your encouragement, and being with me on this journey to become better dads, developing strong minds, strong bodies, and strong characters to love actively, lead effectively and then obviously leave that legacy and my guest today really has an amazing story to share and I'm going to let him do that I'm not going to waste too much time with introductions his name is Austin Legg he has been through uh, so many things in his life already and he's had to overcome major challenges to be where he is today hope you guys enjoy this I know that it was a powerful episode for me I know that I got a lot out of it it made me think a lot it challenged me a lot and I'm sure that you'll be able to pick that up from our conversation so guys here's Austin Legg Austin Leg, man, thanks for making the time and joining me on this nice uh, morning here in Bavaria. It's nice and early, bro. I won't lie. I think you can tell, like, by the you get the pleasure of seeing the bed head and the first thing in the morning. So happy to happy to have you on, man. <laughs> I'm happy to be here, man. It's it's ten o'clock at night here in Idaho, so we are living. We're in two different worlds right now. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting for me. I actually do this fatherhood podcast, international podcast, where there's a guy from California and a guy from Australia, and we are literally like almost exactly like eight hours apart, all of us. So it's like all sides of the world. So yeah. I always have to, in, in, it's, it's a little bit of a challenge sometimes, I have to say, to get like the time times hooked up, especially because it's always like with you guys, it's not like, okay, they're in South Africa. They're in like, it's like so many time zones there to actually hook it up and make sure. But anyway, enough about yeah. time zones. But um, yeah, I mean, it's stoked to, <laughs> I'm stoked to have you on here and then we could reschedule because like I was saying before we got on that, um, listening to the podcast that you did with a guy called Josh, I think it's backstory one was, was uh, really interesting and powerful to hear, man. And I think that what I love about your story and um, what, what it does is it, it kind of um, destigmatizes us as men and successful men and masculine men being these people that have it all together and have to kind of put this facade on, you know, and I think that it, that it allowed, allows guys to reflect on that. And especially on this show, dads, we carry a lot of um, baggage from our past. And I think a lot of the baggage is that we don't want to admit first to ourselves and then obviously lastly to our colleagues or people that we know. And what I loved about you, and I just wanted to read this because, and I hope you don't mind, but just to kick us off yeah. here, you wrote this on that podcast, uh, post that you put on Instagram, which I loved. You wrote, until not long ago, I realized that there was nothing left that anyone on the internet could say or do to me that I hadn't already done to myself. After the hell my mind went through, I knew that there was nothing left for me to fear. I'm now in complete control. I've become unbreakable. Once I accepted this, I knew I could accept the critics, welcome the haters and embrace the fellow sufferers. I finally opened up with intention to help someone else. I've won my battles. The point of this is to help the next person win theirs. And uh, when I read that a couple of weeks ago, I was just like, man, to, to get there should be all of our goals because I think we live way too much of our lives worrying what, you know, think how crazy it is that we 
worry about what strangers say about us even. And I think that that was the powerful thing. So I don't know if you just want to give a little background about, or no, maybe not even a background, maybe set the context because I think it's important yeah. for people to know where you're at now. Um, maybe how old you are. I'm sure you're not uh, coy about your age either, but I think it's, it sets a tone to kind of when you speak about when you were 13 and when you were, when you were a teenager and stuff, it lets us know the timelines and stuff. Sure, man. Yeah, no. And, and thanks for sharing that. It's, it's funny because man, even to hear it back, you know, hearing someone else read it, I'm just like, it is, I mean, it's, it's powerful. Not, not cause I wrote it, but it's, it's powerful because I mean that you just sum you just summed it up. You summed up my life for me. And I'm like, hey, this is, this is awesome. I'm, I'm in a, a really good spot right now and, uh, and really just better than I've ever been. And so it's exciting to, you know, hear someone else say it. Um, but yeah, so for some backstory, you know, I, um, I'm 30 now and for oh, about okay. 10 years, I went through a 10 year period where I, I was dealing with a lot of mental health issues. Um, and, and like you said in that intro, man, um, I guess, or like I said, <laughs> I for the lot for the longest time, um, I had really been shy about saying anything. Um, I was, I was kind of against speaking out for a variety of reasons. One, one big one was basically appearing vulnerable, um, to my friends, to my colleagues, to people on the internet who didn't know me just in general, you know, trying to be seen as this successful man who's got it all together and, and going places in life and doing all these things. But at the same time, like I was, I was struggling with some things and, and I didn't want to open up and admit those things to other people for fear of how I was going to be seen and how I would be looked at. Um, and so now um, here I am, you know, around 28, 29 years old. And I kind of started having this mental clarity where things started setting in. And I said, you know, I'm not doing myself nor anyone else any good by being silent. Like I, I'm not, I'm not growing. I'm not helping others overcome. I'm not helping others grow. Like, what am I doing? I'm just living in fear of what people think. And so that's why, you know, it, it's still kind of new to me to talk about. Um, but really I, I kind of opened some new doors and, and decided to start discussing some of the things that I went through. And it's been, it's been life-changing, man. It's, it's been absolutely fantastic. Hmm. Yeah, no, it definitely was impactful to me. And I think that it challenged me to be more open because it's exactly that. And I think it's a problem in society that we have is that, you know, on the one hand, we've got these people that are, are emoting and just saying everything, how they feel and, and showing their weakness, like to the nth degree where maybe they should actually get a bit of uh, resilience and <laughs> yeah. develop a bit of fortitude and, and stop being like that. Cause that doesn't help anyone either. Right. If you come on here and you start crying and complaining and I'm not mean that crying is bad because I think crying is a very good thing when it's genuinely yeah. crying about something that is worth crying about. So on the one hand we've got that. And then on the other hand, we've got tough guys that have the resilience of fortitude, but then keep it inside and don't share that story because I'm reading, it's just started this book called anti-fragile by um, Nazin uh, Nicholas Taleb, which is, you know, almost about that, how, you know, through the chaos and through the pressures from, from life, it then creates something amazing, you know, and uh, as far as I can understand from the beginning. And I think those stories need to be told so that we can, not just for ourselves, but for our children, because our children are growing up in school and not understanding that failure is one of the best things 
to drive you forward, sucking at something, having chaos and bringing it together yourself and, and what's happening in schools. I'm a school teacher, by the way, is that we're oh, cool. trying to, our kids get a report or grades, especially in America, and then they're rated by that. They're not rated by the process, not rated by the struggles they went through. You know what I mean? It's not like they get a grade for that. They get a grade for the product. And so what we do as teachers is we focus on the product and failure and doing badly is almost shunned. And so what kids grow up with, just like you and I grew up with, is that, oh, well, failure is bad. Admitting my mistakes is wrong. <laughs> and if us as dads, especially as fathers, can't be vulnerable and show our kids, no, this is where I came from. This is where yeah. I'm at now. Um, I think it's important. You've got two kids, right? I do. I have, I have two boys. And it's, it's interesting because probably I would say almost 10 years ago, right around when I was like 21, 22, um, I really started adopting a more stoic philosophy, right? And I kind of went down this stoicism um, journey in my life where and most people are familiar with stoicism, right? So I don't need to talk through it, but a lot of it comes back to this idea that, you know, you need to channel everything. It's like your anger, your emotion, your frustration and sadness, all those things, channel them and push them forward, like in a productive kind of headstrong, head down, nothing can stop me way and not get distracted by kind of all the other stuff going on around you. And as I adopted that mentality of like, okay, I'm, I'm not afraid of anything. I'm not, you know, affected by my environment. Like I'm in charge and you know, this is my path. Nothing can stop me. I got a lot of, I took a lot of good from that, but at the same time, like everything in life, I think there's a balance you know, and, and it's the, and, and it was like, is still, you know, stoicism isn't the end all be all of philosophy. I think there's a lot of great points to it and things that I brought into my life. But like I said, uh, there you go. The daily stoic. Exactly. That's a great <laughs> book, you know, but, um, but at the same time, like recognizing that, there are some times where you do need to open up. You do need to accept some of the, you know, exterior forces and the, um, the external things that are kind of bombarding you. You do need to address the, those things sometime. Um, you know, stoicism, like they talk about anxiety, like um, I don't need to worry about it because it's outside of my mind and it's like on the external and, you know, I'm not going to let it affect me. Well, a lot of people live with a lot of anxiety and, and that can be extremely difficult. And so, you know, going back, it was something I had to learn to balance in my own life. And as a father, that now is something that I'm trying to teach my boys, you know, and, that, and now I'm like juggling that. It's like, I feel like I've kind of learned that balance of being stoic and being, you know, kind of vulnerable and more open. And now with my boys, it's like, okay, you skinned your knee, you know, is this, is this something that we should cry about for the next hour or is it something you're going to cry about for 30 seconds and then say, dang it, I need to not st you know, trip on a rock or trip on that stick or whatever and move on. And, and it's just funny because, you know, you, you see those same lessons that you've been learning and you're still learning as an adult. Mm. 
And now it's like, how do I bring this down to a level that a five-year-old and a two-year-old can understand? And, and I think that's probably the challenge of parenting, but it's pretty fun. Yeah, I think it's interesting when you become a dad, like, and, and then you start realizing that you're still working through stuff, but now you got to lead these kids through stuff, but you're still working <laughs> on yourself. And it's like, well, um, and that's why we work on ourselves. I mean, for me, the greatest motivation has been my kids. I think I've said it before on this podcast that I think I'd be a even a bigger asshole if I didn't have kids. You know, I, I think I'd be more selfish. I think I wouldn't have worked on myself that much. But to be trying to lead these little kids, yeah. that's a responsibility on leading myself first. And, and I think what we can do with you is, I mean, you're 30, bro. And it's not because you look old, so don't get offended. <laughs> but I know you... <laughs> <laughs> I've lived a long time. But I just, long just the story that you've had and, and what you've achieved and what I saw, to think that you've come so far in a short time and I'm older than you by quite a bit, like 12 years. And just to think that I, I started on the stoicism on this stuff a little bit later than you. And I might not have had the same mental issues that we'll go into that you've had, you know, and it was just so striking to me to go, when you said you're 30 now, I'm like, whoa, where has this guy come from in such a short time? And I think what is beautiful yeah. and wonderful about that is that guys listening to this will, and that's why I wanted to start with your successes before we go into like the details of what it's about, <laughs> because I want guys to go, He's here and I want them to hear your story and go, oh yeah. my God, that this guy can go from there to here in that amount of time means that if I follow a certain path, if I take ownership and, and all the things that we'll discuss that you did, I just think it's such an encouraging thing. And when I listened last night, I was like, super, I get goosebumps a little bit. I was just super challenged. I was like, <laughs> no, I was just super challenged. I was like, wow, Tom, yeah. you know, the things that you have, have to overcome, Austin's been through that and more. And the, the, the little personality things that you want to change and that you want to become so that you can be the best dad that you can become. And guys listening to this, we're not on a competition of who had the worst past. Sure. But it's just clear that what you've been through has made you the man that you are today. And to think that it's just so recent as well. Um, and that's why I want to just, before we go into that, can you just tell us where you're at in life right now? Like what you're doing and, and, and how yeah. your family's doing. And, and I heard you talk about your marriage. And when you said, I've got, an, I've got this wonderful marriage, I was just like, <laughs> Tell me how, bro. And not that my marriage, oh, my marriage man. is good, but to think that you've come from that and that your marriage is great and that you yeah. have a wonderful life with your kids already. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. It, it's funny because as you were like, let's talk about your successes. The very first thing that popped in my mind was, shoot, I, I need to talk about my relationship with my wife probably because especially in today's society, you see so many unhappy and unhealthy relationships and you know, I'm 30 years old. I, I just celebrated my 10th wedding anniversary. Oh, wow. And that's something that I'm proud of. You know, it, it hasn't been, you know, every day hasn't been perfect, but we rarely, rarely, rarely fight. Uh, we get along great. We're best friends. Uh, we have two beautiful little boys. Um, and yeah, man, I, you know, it's funny because you're like, well, let's talk about your successes. And I'm like, gosh, I, I don't, I'm not. I don't know what to tell you, <laughs> um, I, but it, I'll tell you what, it'll be easier. I think for me to go back, um, we'll go back to the beginning and, and talk through everything and, and then, you know, we'll wind up in the present day, I think, but I am glad that you said, um, you know, we're, we're not here to, to compare who had the worst past because that's something that I, I don't want to dwell on. Because one of the points in all of this for me is I don't want to make this story. My story, as weird as this sounds, it's not about me. 
Like that's the big takeaway for people listening is I don't want this to be a, an autobiography. I, it, it really isn't because the whole reason I'm speaking out now is to reach other people and help other people. And so hmm. going back, man, um, I was about probably 13, I, you know, dates wise, it's a little fuzzy for me. Um, it's a long time ago and, and it's a lot of these things I've kind of blocked out of my memory because they were such painful times. But, uh, you know, around probably 13, 14, I really kind of started feeling like something mentally just was not right. Um, it was, I couldn't explain it. I didn't know what it was. Um, I had a hard time even putting it into words, but I just didn't feel right. Um, I had good days. And that felt good. I, I had friends. I did really well in school. I did well in sports. And then other days, I just hated everything. I hated school. I hated my friends. I didn't want to talk to people. I wanted to be left alone. I, I just kind of felt like I had this big dark cloud over me all the time. And I didn't know what it was. Well, as I started progressing um, and getting older and more mature, those things just kept getting worse and the days got darker. Um, my, my mood swings got stronger. It became more frequent. And again, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know how to describe it. Um, I remember trying to tell my parents at one point, like, you know, not because I was, I, 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 I was trying to describe it to them because they, they were noticing, right? They were noticing that something was different. And I remember trying to ask them like, what is going on? <laughs> you know, what, why am I feeling like this? Why am I feeling some days I'm, I've got it figured out. I'm on top of the world. I'm, I'm the life of the party. And then the next day I just like want to climb in a hole and never come out. And my parents used to always tell me like, it's just part of growing up. You know, every boy goes through this. It's, you know, it's, you're going through puberty. It's blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, like, I guess this is normal. <laughs> like normal life sucks pretty bad. But I guess this is it. And, uh, and, and so I just kind of kept going and kept going. Well, um, you know, the first, I remember the, the first time that I, I started cutting on myself, I was probably, um, I think it was eighth grade. So I was probably like wow. 13, you know, and, and I just kind of began this like cycle of self-injury and, and self-injury. Um, you know, if you've never been in that position before, which I hope you haven't, because I mean, that's a pretty dark headspace to be in, but it's weird because it provides in a way when you're, when you're going through that and you're, you know, suffering from a disease, it provides a sense of gratification. It provides a sense of fulfillment. The, the pain in a way is almost like a pleasure. Um, and, and trying to describe that to somebody who's never gone through it is hard, right? That's a hard thing to say. It's a hard thing for people to hear and accept. It's a hard thing for people to try and comprehend that. Like, why are you hurting yourself? That doesn't make sense. Well, for me, it makes sense because it helps me feel good, right? And, but at the time, as a young man, like, I can't tell people that. I can't describe that. I can't, I can't tell my friends that. And so it would be like 
90 degree, or I don't know what the Celsius to Fahrenheit conversion, but it'd be like a very hot day, you know, and I'd be (laughs) wearing long sleeves because I'm trying to like cover up, you know, I'm trying to like cover up cuts on my arms or like, you know, different things like that. Cause I didn't, I didn't want people to see. Well, the self-injury thing kind of kept progressing and progressing to the point where I was so unhappy that I just became where all I could think about was suicide and that became my norm, you know, and, and I describe, you know, I described to Josh on that podcast, the the last one I did where I talked about it, you might've heard this, but it was honestly a struggle for me almost every single day. It was, it was like, wake up in the morning and know, like, I have to go to school today. I don't want to go to school today you should just kill yourself. Like that would, you know, it like that, that's like literally the conversation in my head. It was like, wake up. I hate my life. This sucks. You should just kill yourself. Like that was my mental, my, my self-talk and all day it was like that. And all day it was talking myself like out of those thoughts. You know, it was like driving to school. It'd be like driving to oncoming traffic, Austin, just do it. Just end this. And you know, it's just all day. Well, as part of that, part of my struggle was obviously those very, very low and please cut me off. I know I'm, I'm just kind of like, I'm just kind of telling oh, my bro, I'm, story, but no, I'm, I'm interested. Okay. Sure. No, I think it's, I think I'd rather have you talking, bro. Trust me. So with the listeners, <laughs> just please okay. carry on. No, no it's okay. very, it's very important, dude, because what you're saying is you're describing this on the one hand, there's us that have been through mental issues as, as, as men as well when we were younger and maybe we didn't have it as extreme, but there's obviously like a spectrum of what you're talking about, which I think I experienced yeah. slightly, not on, not on the suicide, but then on the other hand, I think it's a major important for parents to be aware that your parents didn't know. And that, and that what you're saying now is can just like you saying the long sleeves, who would have yeah. thought that that's a sign and that parents yeah. listening could go, Oh shit, why is my kid doing this? Or maybe <laughs> you'll mention something else. Yeah. Maybe yeah, you'll mention yeah. something else. It'll just make them go like, so I think the detail in the story, I think is very important as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I would, I was obviously having these like super low periods, right? And then unexplainably, um, it was like you flip a light switch on and I felt unstoppable. I was physically, I think if you would look at me, I probably looked different. I, I felt stronger. I was faster. I didn't need to eat. I didn't need to sleep. I was loud. I was very outgoing. I was just kind of like, I was always the life of the party and wanted to be the life of the party. I wanted to be everywhere and with everyone and wow. a completely different person. And I didn't, I didn't understand what was going on, right? I'm, it, this is happening and I'm 16, 17 years old. I, I had no idea about mental health, like zero. Mm. I, I probably didn't even know mental health was a thing at this point. I was just like, this is awesome. I'm sleeping two hours a night and waking up and just like infinite go, right? I was always at 100 miles an hour and you could not slow me down. And it felt awesome. And so I kind of was like using that to balance myself out. It was like the highest of highs, the lowest of lows. And it was kind of like when I was in those highs, I didn't care that the next day I could be suicidal because I was feeling so awesome at the top. And 
those, those manic periods where I felt like that, unfortunately were always a lot shorter in duration than my, you know, it was, if that would have lasted like two or three weeks, that would have been great. The problem is those would only last like a day, two days, three days. And then the depression cycle would be like 10 days, you know? And, and so it, it made it difficult. Right. Well, I, you know, think as things kept getting worse and, and, my behavior got worse. My relationship suffered. Um, I, I no longer was in control of not only myself, right? Because like I said, I've been hurting myself and having all these thoughts of hurting myself. And, and then as I was getting older, you know, 16, 17, 18, I started lashing that out on other people and, and both physically and emotionally. Um, it, I used to find pleasure in doing things to hurt other people. It made me feel good seeing people that either I cared about or didn't care about see them get hurt because it made me feel good to be like, ah, yes. Like now, now that person, you know, I'm suffering, but now I'm watching this person suffer mm. and I can see them cry or I can see them get frustrated or, you know, I can see them lash out. That made me feel good. Right. And, that is like, you want to talk about toxic relationships and toxic people. Like I was the definition of it, you know, just a, not a good person to be around. And, uh, and, and so, wow. you know, I, I'm lucky to still have the friends and relationships from that time period. A lot of them, because I was just not a healthy person. Yeah. Um, and Probably the one constant through all that was my wife. Now we, we, we were dating in high school. And so, oh, wow. so I was been there the whole time. She's been, too she's much been there the, the whole time. Wow. And, and we actually had that conversation the other day where I said to her, um, I said something along the lines of like, you know, I want, I want to feel supported by you still. Um, I was like, cause I'm, I'm not struggling like I was back in the day, but Like, I want you to accept that this is my past, you know, this is my history and I, I want you to support it. I want you to be supportive of me telling this story. And she made a really awesome point. She was like, you know what? Like I was there for all of it. Like I was there the whole time. This isn't just your past and your story. It's our story. Wow. And so she kind of put me in check and I was like, oh, <laughs> you're, you're right. Like, I was like, you know, correct me when I'm wrong. And she corrected me. So, um, yeah. So, um, so to keep going, um, I was probably, I think I was a junior in high school. So probably 16 or 17. And I threw a punch in a basketball game like a, a school game. I got kicked out because again, I, I had no control over my temper, right? It was just like zero to hundred, boom, punch, boom, out. And I get, you know, thrown out of the game. I go home and I am just like complete rage, like blind rage. I'm at black, you know, just like freaking out. And my parents, you know, come out in the garage and see me just going nuts. And my, my parents are like, what is going on? Like, this is not normal. And I'm like, I know I've been trying to tell you for the last three years that this is not normal. Like this is me. This is my head. This is what's going on and you're not listening and I need help. And, uh, so yeah, it took me, it took me about three years of struggling through that on my own before my parents 
really kind of admitted and helped me get some help. And so um, we started out trying some doctors and uh, didn't really know, you know, this is all new to me. So I don't know where to go. I don't know what to say. I don't, you know, you just kind of like have to learn and feel it out. So the first place I go, they were like, yeah, Austin, you know, you've, you've got depression. And I was like, okay, sweet depression. Like a lot of people have that from what I'm being told. There's like, you know, one out of 10 people like this is great. Like, what do I do? Well, I'll take this pill, talk to this counselor and we'll get you squared away. Well, I start taking the pills and like things aren't really going well. And they up the dose, not going well, up the dose. And finally I'm taking like, <laughs> I'm taking like the maximum dose of these like adult meds and things are just getting worse. Right? I'm getting more suicidal. I'm, wow. I'm like, just keep going. You know, the cycle just keeps going. And the, the counselors I was seeing weren't, I, I felt like weren't listening. It was just like a perpetual cycle of, sucking <laughs> you know it's like everything sucked i was like this is terrible and uh i got really lucky because um it did take me it took me about three years of failing in that aspect it yeah. took me th well, probably two years of trying multiple doctors multiple medications multiple counselors but by that point people knew, right? My family knew, my, my girlfriend, now wife at the time, she knew. Some of my close friends kind of had an idea of the things I was going through. And so I did start to have that support network of people like kind of guiding me like, okay, if this isn't working, we need to try the next thing. Like go to the next, you know, try a new doctor or, or try a new med or try, you know. And so I wasn't totally on my own at that point. And, uh, and that was nice, man. It was, it, it provided like a, that little bit more to like keep pushing, right. To keep pushing. So, um, 19 years old, I'm still diagnosed with depression, still taking the depression meds. Haven't seen a drop of any improvement. Um, really still just like struggling through every day. and. Um, had a suicide attempt, got hospitalized. And I remember waking up in the hospital and just like terrible, like so many things are going through your head. It's like, on one hand, you're having these thoughts of like, I can't believe I failed. And on the other hand, you're having thoughts like, I never want to do this again. And I'm just like bouncing back and forth through those thoughts so fast trying to comprehend what all is happening and, and it's hard, man. You know, you want to talk about being, feeling alone. Like that was probably the most alone I've ever felt because I couldn't express that. I, I couldn't clearly express those feelings and those thoughts. I didn't, and I didn't know how, because I was still just scared of how people would perceive me, right? I'm only 19 years old. Like in my mind, I'm thinking if everyone around me knows I'm this unhealthy, sick individual, like, you know, mentally have this going on, I'm never going to make it. Like I'm never going to do anything with my life because I can't get through a single day. Um, and that was a big kind of 
it wasn't quite like a, it wasn't this big dramatic turning point, but I did start to feel like my thought process was changing where it was like, I have to figure this out. I have now almost wasted the last five or six years of my life because I've been suffering and I've not got this dialed in yet. So now keep going a little bit, kind of had some more, you know, suicide things going on and, and still like very much in the midst of this and at 20 years old. Okay. So about six, maybe seven years into this process, finally somebody was able to give me some clarity and it just like came out of nowhere. My, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, her dad was a family doctor. And I think, I think I was still 19, maybe 20. And I'm at his house and he was just like, out of the blue, just like, Austin, you need to go see this doctor. This is his name. I'll call him tomorrow. I'll get you a referral. He's the best bipolar doctor in the state of Idaho. And I think you have bipolar disorder. Okay. And I was just like, huh? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> and uh, sure enough, man, the very next day, I'm at his office and I was a mess, dude. I was a mess. I was still at like the lowest of lows that I've ever been. And, you know, I was, I, I was, I'm honestly, I'm lucky they didn't kick me out of the office. I had threatened to, I was threatening the nurses or the, the, I don't think they're nurses. I don't, the, the office staff, mm -hmm. you know, they had to bring like extra people into the room. I would, you know, it's just crazy, man. 10 years ago. Huh? Um, wow. And this is, yeah, this is 10 <laughs> years ago. This One is decade. not that long. This is not that long ago, right? And, uh, and so I met with the doctor and he kind of talked me through this and, and, and then explained to me, you know, this is bipolar and what you're going through. And sure enough, I was sitting there and for the first time in all this process, I felt like somebody got it. I was like, he was like hitting symptom after symptom after symptom on the head and telling me like, you probably have experienced feelings like this. And, you know, you've probably seen, you know, these change. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, like you get me, you get, you know? And, uh, and he prescribed some meds and I was like, I'm, I'm going to be so diligent. Like I will take these meds. I, I've, I've never had a problem with meds because I want to find, I want to get some help. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'll take them. And, and I asked him, I was like, okay, so doc, just like level with me. This still, this is still meeting one, right? First day I met him. I'm like, just level with me. Am I going to be taking these meds the rest of my life? I'm, 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 I want to say, let's see, what was the date on this? I think I was 20 and, uh, I was 20 and, uh, he, he was like, yeah, you know what, Austin, you're 20 years old. Let's get you on these meds. We'll start you out at a high dose. And by about 25 years old in men, the brain is fully developed yeah. and there's a very small chance. And he kind of was like a very, very small chance that at 25, when your brain's fully developed, um, you might actually kind of grow out of this bipolar disorder. Okay. Well, it, it, yeah. It, right. And I was like, interesting. Come again. You know, like I was like, there's a chance, like how big it very, very small. Right. Well, I, I, I don't know. I've never actually looked at what the statistic is on that. I think because I'm kind of scared to know. And I don't know if I wished this into existence, but I remember sitting there in his office and, and saying like, okay, I will, I will do this for five years. And at five years, we're going to wean 
I'm going to wean off and I'm going to be that statistic. Like I'm the, I'm the guy, I'm going to be that one in a million or whatever it is. And, uh, man, <laughs> did it, you know, it was, um, five diligent years of taking meds every day. Um, seeing counselors. Yeah. Like I said, I started studying stoicism. I did a lot of reading. I did a lot of like self-reflection. Um, I learned a lot about myself. I clearly have grown a lot as an individual, um, you know, focused on my relationships, focused on, you know, putting others before myself. Like all of those things are not just talking points. That is not me just saying like, yeah, you know, I, I thought about others. No, the reality is, is I'm a very selfish person by nature. Um, and I think a lot of us are, but yep. part of my you know, disease is I didn't, it wasn't, not only did I not think about others, I didn't care. Like, I didn't care at all. I didn't care if, you know, the neighbor could get hit by a car tomorrow and I wouldn't have batted an eye. I, I, I wouldn't have cared. I wouldn't have felt a single thing. And so it wasn't just thinking about others. It was like learning to have empathy for others, learning to care for others, like finding a place in my heart for others, you know? And like I said, those aren't talking points. Like that is a real skill that took time and I'm still working on developing. Yeah. Unfortunately, due to um, technical issues with zoom, we lost like the last half of the, the podcast. So sorry, Austin, I apologize for that. But um, like I said, every cloud is a silver lining and here I am again at five 30 in the morning. <laughs> Right, and then we record <laughs> yeah. the rest of the show for you. But anyways, I mean, I listened to the last bit about it, and it was just—I mean, there was so much there, wasn't there? You know, um, yeah. Last few things you 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 said, and there were a couple of questions that I obviously had from that. I mean, it was—it's uh, pretty intense. I can imagine a nineteen, you know, ending up in hospital after a suicide attempt must be something that's—is that hard for you still to to think about that? Um. You know, that's a complicated question. It is and it isn't. <laughs> it is because it's something I never want to forget. Um, I never want to forget how I felt. And I, I don't want to forget the feelings that I had waking up, the feelings that I had 24 hours into it, 48 hours. You know, I don't want to forget those feelings. Um, but it's, it's a painful place for me to go back to. But at the same time, if I, if I just live my life in this constant state of like, you know, sadness and worry and regret, it's like, gosh, I would, I would never do anything. <laughs> you know, I'd never go anywhere. And, uh, and so no, like, in fact, I remember, um, for the first maybe year or so I used to like kind of, or after that incident. And, and when I was dealing with a lot of that, I used to kind of get offended when people would be like, Oh, you should go kill yourself. Or like, Oh, I'd rather kill myself than do that. Or, you know, uh, like joking, like making suicide jokes. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Hey, like, you know, <laughs> that's not really funny. It's kind of like a sensitive issue to me. I never really said anything, but I just kind of like, you know, took it in. And then, you know, down the road, I was like, man, am I really that thin skinned? Like, am I, am I really so soft of a, a person that I can't take? a little bit of, you know, whether it's lighthearted humor or some pretty dark humor, like I can't hear that and get a, and, and just get offended. Like what? And so nowadays, no, man, like, you know, like I said, I, I still remember how I felt. I'll never forget it, but I've moved on. <laughs> it's a different, as a different me. 
Yeah, I know you said like there were five to six years where you kind of felt like, oh, this will be, this is wasted. You don't yeah. feel like that now at all. I mean, when you look back at that time, it's yeah. not a waste. Not at all. And, and, I, and I, I said that it was wasted, meaning that I never feel like I really lived up to the, the potential I had at that time. But at the same time, now looking back, I realize that without that trial and that, that period of difficulty, I never would have been to the position I'm at now, both mentally, in my relationships, in my career, my education, all those things, you know, were created by the building blocks that I went through in that time. Mm. I think that's a lot of people, right? I mean, it's a lot of us, a lot of us live in that kind of state permanently, you know, where you basically yeah. are wasting your life and not living up to your potential. So I can, I can identify with that completely being where I am now and thinking, wow, I didn't really use that time. I think that if we can perceive it like that, if we can perceive it like a challenge and something that helps us grow, I think that's the important part. And like you said about the suicide attempt, I know people personally, I know other people that have traumatic moments in their lives and that defines them. And then they kind of hold on to that thing and it becomes the identity and they never, I know people that have never got free of that. So how do you, how do you do that? How do you kind of use it as a springboard to become who you who you've become and as we've said before i mean it was like you know this suicide attempt was 10 years ago bro it's not like yeah. it's something in the distant past and you <laughs> something yeah. that you've you've overcome and i think that for dads listening and whoever you know as fathers i don't think we're just responsible for ourselves we're responsible for our kids we're also responsible for our parents and our partners and our friends and this is kind of a thing that i suppose is something that we can help other people with without being insensitive and you've been there where you were you know, your brain wasn't functioning, you know, chemically things weren't happening for you. So, you know, people go, you can't tell people this, but for me, it's very evident that, like you said, the chances were so slim that you would recover, you know, that I'm talking to you today and you're living the life that I'm, that, that you are and that you're experiencing the marriage that you're experiencing and the relation with your kids that you're experiencing instead of living in that past of the suicide attempt and not just the suicide attempt, but the whole time. And I think as people, it's been hard for me sometimes with people in my life that I've noticed to, to try and help them in that sense to understand everything is not lost. You're not defined by this thing. And I've just watched incidents in people's lives just ruin literally their whole life, man, where now they're living you know, in their 60s and 70s and never was able to use it as the springboard to, um, to get better. And people might think, oh, that's so insensitive. You're not being understanding. But for me, it's not about understanding. And people have said to me, oh, you're too harsh. And I'm like, but it's not my life. It's not my life. Like my, my things that I've overcome and that have been difficult for me, I've used those like you have used them. Maybe not as effectively yet, but I've realized that those are the things that I'm going to have to get over and going to use, whereas other people haven't. How do we do that? How do we communicate that to other people? I mean, you've been there. Yeah, man. And that is just such a loaded question. Um, Sorry. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a good, it's a <laughs> early good morning question. questions, I, man. <laughs> it's, it's deep, man. I like it. And you know, as you were, as you were speaking, I was, I was trying so hard to like focus on you and, and think, but the thought just kept coming to my mind that I'm so glad that I'm getting a second opportunity to talk to you because what a lot of people listening won't realize is, you know, our, our podcast got cut out from recording. We recorded another 30 minutes and then after we cut it down, we continued talking for another 30 minutes, yeah. you know? And so I, I had an hour of time to get to know you a little better and talk to you. And, you know, one of the things that I think is helpful for me in my life and then uh, in dealing with my own mind, my own body, and then 
now channeling that in a way to help other people was I never sold, I never was selling a lie. I never was selling something that wasn't real and that wasn't true. Like the only reason I'm speaking out about mental health and the fact that, you know, if you do the right things, whether it's counseling, medication, meditation, you know, whatever it is, whatever path you choose, you can make a better life for yourself. And I'm living proof of that. And had I not done that, I wouldn't be in this position where I'm now able to help other people. And, and I think that's one of the biggest things you can do is first try and help yourself. Don't sell a lie that everything's okay, that everything's fine, that you're this perfect life, perfect person doing great. If that's not true, you know, mm. if, if it is not true, don't sell it. And, uh, and I think that's a, a great first step for people to probably not, not just realize, but admit to themselves. You know, I, I don't have it all figured out. I'm, I'm not perfect. Like I said, I'm, I'm doing this so I can help people move past that first, you know, that first roadblock. It's interesting, man, because like there's a fine line between talking about your problems and then becoming your identity and talking about your problems yeah. that they actually help you to not hide what's going on. You know what I mean? You, Cause I've experienced totally. people that just talk about their problems like nonstop. And it's not, really <laughs> yeah, help, it's it's not really helping them. It's kind of like confirming, <laughs> like I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm not able to live a normal life, and this is my my health problem, and this is my mental problem, and and then you get the people that then bottle it up, which is tends to be men a lot of the time. Yeah. And yeah. it's interesting for me because you lived through this with your your current your not your current wife. That sounds like you're gonna get another one. <laughs> <Yeah, I'm laughs> I always yeah. I always have that problem because I was divorced before, and then I say my current wife, and it's like, what have you got another one lined up? Yeah. But, um, yeah. um, you know, with your wife, and she was there the whole time. Like, were you mm -hmm. not afraid of of what she would think that you weren't worthy of love and and is and that's possibly a problem a lot of guys deal with even me not with mental health but just weaknesses of mine that i'm not yeah. able to go hey babe this is what's going on in me because i don't want to admit that i'm weak you and you nailed it man and i that's something that i still struggle with and i find it from a place of vulnerability you know i i hate appearing weak mm -hmm. and vulnerable but I had to change my mindset. You know, I don't think that that's coming from a place of weakness. Um, I think that it's actually a strength being able to communicate openly with your spouse. And, you know, just the other day, um, about a month ago, actually, I told my wife, like, hey, look, I'm kind of having a, 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 I'm in a weird spot. I was, you know, and it wasn't near anything what had, I'd been like in the past, but it was just kind of this you know, for a week or so was just kind of feeling like I was in a funk. And, and I just told her like, I don't know what's going on, but I just want you to be aware. And I just communicated that to her. And again, it, mm. I, it was vulnerable, right? It was, I was opening up and telling her how I was really feeling. But I think that is such a strength, man. And we just have to like change that perception that, you know, men can't open up, especially their spouse. And that not only, I think to her, um, I, th I think it creates like a, a deeper bond of like trust, right? Because she could sense that like something is not right, right? She's not dumb. She's known me for almost 20 years. It's yeah. like she knows. Yeah. And so the fact that she no longer has to like guess or wonder or, you know, just see me and be like, what is wrong with him? Yeah. She knows, you know, and, and I'd encourage people to, to do that, to change that perspective, man.
Yeah, because I think what happens is like your wife and everybody has to deal with the symptoms, right? They have to deal with the right. symptoms, but they don't know what you're Everyone. feeling. It's like, and that's mm-hmm. the thing what's interesting with, with my wife as well. It's they want to know how we feel, and it makes it so much easier for them to deal with a symptom when you actually told them, listen here, I'm having a rough time. I'm feeling like this. This has been going on at work. I mean, even when things would go on at work or in different areas of my life, I won't communicate that. And I think a lot of guys don't communicate that. And then what happens is it all starts flowing out at home. You're a little bit more irritable. Maybe you say this, do that. Um, you're just grumpy around the house. Um, you, sure. You're tired, maybe run down. Um, I mean, how many guys are on the verge of burnout are not saying anything about it? And then they wonder why their marriage is falling apart because they haven't been able to just go, hey, babe, listen here, man, this is what's happening in my life right now. I'm really not handling well. And just to let you know that I, I really need support right now because we don't want to do that. you know. And, that's, oh and this is where the weakness of masculinity and manliness comes in because yeah. we think that that is manly and that's masculine. Whereas what you have done is much more manly and masculine, which is mm-hmm. just admit to the fact that this is what's wrong with me. Own it. And then work through it with your partner and not try to hide behind this mask because that isn't manly and that's not masculine. And this is probably where the whole this disconnect between masculinity and manliness with society comes right now is because these unmasculine things have suddenly become what people understand by masculinity and manliness, whereas actual real uh, courage and strength comes from going, no, this is me, man. This is me with all my faults. And I think... It's, it's, you mentioned it earlier. It's just the perception of other people. And I think mm-hmm. you've done it. Like we read, I read that thing at the beginning of this, um, this podcast about not caring. Like everything's out there. Like no one can harm you. Mm-hmm. I can't get on Instagram mm-hmm. now and go, oh, Austin tried to commit suicide when he was 19. <laughs> yeah. What a fucking loser. Um, you know, and, <laughs> no, seriously, though. and, and that's the thing about people's perceptions. Why? And first of all, well, not, this is not to you, but is why do we care so much what other people yeah. think? And secondly, how do we overcome that stigma where, we get to a place where we can be like you, which is basically in a place where anybody can say anything, write anything about mm-hmm. you and you don't care. Because I think that, like I said, that for me, and not in a no fucks given kind of way, because that's bullshit yeah. as well. Like, oh, that's another right. mask. Like, I don't, oh, fuck, I I don't give a fuck. How do we get to that point where we really are able to go, you know, it's not about someone's perception of me. It's about me really getting better. It's like when I go work out in the, in the park and I don't want to look like a tool because I'm not, I'm not well built or I might look stupid doing it. So I don't do the workout, Mm -hmm. you know, and then what happens? I don't actually benefit from, from what would have happened. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for me, what I have found is, um, my, my inner circle, my, my close circle of immediate, you know, immediate friends, family, my wife, those people, I opened up to them. Um, you know, it's been a few years, it's been a while ago, but they all know what happened. They all know, the whole story. And not one of those people ever said a single negative thing to me. And maybe they did behind my back, right? But to my, to my face, yeah. every single one of them was supportive. They didn't judge me. They didn't change the way they talked to me or how they cared about me. Like everything stayed the same. But now they knew kind of why I was the way I yeah. was for so many years. You know, like kind of probably answered some questions they had. Now, those are the people that really all I cared about and they knew. And once I got to that point and started, you know, like I said, working through um, kind of my own mental shortcomings and with that becoming stronger physically, mentally, emotionally, all those things. That's when I really started to get to the point of like, okay, the people I care about, they know, you know, I know. And like I said, I've put myself through, the worst type of torture and pain and suffering 
that I could go through. And what do I care if any, you know, what someone I, I have no relationship to, what do I care? They don't know anything about me. And you're right. It's not a, it's not like this fake armor of like, Oh, I don't care what anyone says about me. Like, no, that, that's not true. Right. But at the same time, like I said, man, you, you could say, you could have any, whatever opinion you want about my past, the things I've done, the things I felt. I, I really don't care because I know where I've been and I know where I've come from and I know where I'm at now. Mm. And I often joke with my wife that, man, I always, <laughs> she doesn't like when I say this because I think it freaks her out. But I always tell her like, if you could hear myself talk, like my, in my mind, if you yes, could hear so. my, my, my thought process and my self talk, you'd probably be like pretty terrified, right. Of the things I say to myself. And I, I don't know if I've let too many people like inside of, you know, what's going on when, in these things, but, um, it's, it's real. Like it is a very real, raw, just kind of gritty self-talk. And I'll give you an example. You know, when I was doing one of the last things I did, that was pretty difficult was this, um, I can't remember if we talked about it last time, but it was a four hour run or a four mile run every four hours for 48 hours. I know, I got from, David Goggins. Yeah, I got it from David Goggins. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, man, that sounds tough. I'm doing it. Let's go. Well, if it's David Goggins, for it. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, yeah, he's bad, but I didn't train for it. I was like, all right, it's oh, yeah. Monday. I'm doing it this Friday. Let's go. So, you know, I get into it and it's pretty tough. And man, my self-talk is like, it's something along this line of like, as soon as it starts hurting, I'm like, you are such a bitch, Austin. Like, remember those days when you couldn't get out of bed? Remember when you couldn't go to school and you didn't want to talk to people? You didn't have any friends and no one liked you. And, you know, on and on and wow. on and on and on. And it just goes and goes. And I just start like, not like getting angry, but just getting like more and more like, look at me now. Yeah. Like, look at what I am doing. Look at what I have become. Like I am a machine. Yeah. Nothing can stop me. And then it's like, it's like, oh, my knee is kind of getting sore, right? I've ran like 40 miles in you know, like 24 <laughs> hours. And I'm like, man, my knee is kind of sore. My ankle's kind of, wait, I am a monster. Like there is nothing that can stop me because I was on the edge of killing myself. And look at me now, like nothing can touch me. And it is seriously like that for it just doesn't stop. Like I can't turn it off, you know, but that's, that's what takes me back to that. You know, how do I, how have I reached this point where I, I really don't care what people have to say? Like, that is it. Like I, that, that is a look inside my mind, you know, and, and if you can call it arrogance. You can call it, I don't care what you want to call it, but that is what gets me to do the things that I can do now. Mm. But I mean, that's the power that people don't understand that they have. It's like what I've been thinking lately, what's going on in the world. And I don't want to get into it because I keep on getting into it in every podcast for yeah. some strange reason, because yeah. I just think it's kind of interesting what's happening. And I just think that the great power that people have from their struggles, I really think that it's something that is either going to either going to ruin you and ruins your life and, and makes you, as I've spoken about people that just don't ever sort themselves out. Or like you say, it's a source of power. It's like you look back and go like, 
wow, like I did that, that, yeah. that, and that. Like, what is this? This is nothing. I mean, I'm similar to you when I look at some of the things that I've been through in my life. And I also use the word machine, by the way. So it's obviously dads, if you want to become <laughs> hardcore. I do. When I've done my triathlons, yeah. Yeah. it's amazing how words are just so incredible. Yeah. It's like you can be like dying, like running like a half marathon. And then you just say, no, I'm a freaking machine. I'm an Iron Man. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're a like, machine this doesn't sound so dumb, but it's just right. like, okay, I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. Yeah. And I think that, and that's the important thing and, and the difference is 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 doing that. And so the thing for me to ask you is like, what is like the maybe not the one thing, but what are the things that really made a game changer? Because when it comes to medication, the people that I know or people that I've known, it's like, okay, I'm taking the medication, this is gonna make me better. This is what's gonna make me function. But what you did is you went on the medication but made the decision. I'm not going to be on this medication forever. I'm going to be that one in whatever it is yeah. person that is going to overcome. And, that, and I, would, I would wager that that's definitely not because, oh, your medication worked so well. And then all of a sudden you were like 20, I can't remember, 25, 26, whatever yeah, it was. Um, and then stopped using it. There must have been things that you did that other people can also do. Mm-hmm. And not just people with bipolar or, and that's what I love about your story is that, yes, yours is extreme because it's like, you know, manic depression. It's like, from one end of the spectrum to the other, but all of us, I believe, have a slight spectrum that we move through. Absolutely. And we have power to become more, because for me, it's like what I'm learning more now, and you've probably experienced it even more, it's stability, isn't it? Having stability mm-hmm. and like a foundation and a rock kind of situation in your life where your life isn't built on this like up and down and up and down and oh, that that person, that person invited me here. I feel good. Oh, that person talked shit about me there. I feel bad. Oh, I won this prize here. Oh, I didn't have a good day at work there. So we're just bouncing up and down. It's like how to become kind of stable and get ourselves on the level where we can be content with our lives. But yeah. like I said, I think that you must have done, there must have been certain things that you did that made the game changer. And I think that we all can benefit from i think we even spoke about it at the end of the last podcast is yeah the thing that we, we can did. benefit from as men and women or dads that we're listening to this that can get us to that that level you know i mean you've gone from mm-hmm. you know from really down the the dumps to almost, you know, to almost basically highest, dying yeah. i mean austin isn't it insane that it, you yeah. would not be sitting here dude you try to commit yeah. suicide at 19 i know yeah you are now smiling at me having a chat yeah. at six in the morning in bavaria and, um, but all of us are in that into a certain degree, whether it be, you know, and sometimes it's, it's kind of weird because until we hit rock bottom or something really bad happens, a lot of us will just sit complacently and go, Oh, it's okay. I'm on, I'm on social welfare. I, I'm okay. My, my house, is, I've got a, I've got a place to stay. And so we kind of are comfortable in our patheticness, so to speak, whereas mm-hmm. you were kind of like, hang on, something needs to yeah. change. And I think those yeah. are yeah. comfortable in our weakness and our sensitivity and our, lack of achievement and lack of actually living the fullest life need the exact same thing that you probably had. So what, what were some of the stuff, some of the things? Yeah. And again, that, that is, that's a big question, man. Um, you got some good ones this morning. (laughs) Um, I think for me, what it was, one of the most, (laughs) one of the most helpful things was consistency. So one of the biggest challenges about being bipolar or even probably depressed or whatever, you know, mental health, you know, you are dealing with mm-hmm. is that when you start taking meds and you find the right meds and the right dose and everything's working out, you feel good. And for the first time in maybe years, maybe a decade, you're starting to function like you normally should. And as soon as you do, you're like, holy cow, like, 
this is awesome. And you kind of stop doing the things that you should be mm. doing because <laughs> you're in a point, you're at a point where you're like, I got it. Like I'm, I'm healed. Like I'm here without recognizing all the time that, Hey, like there's a very realistic, you know, 99% chance that it's the meds working. And so for me, um, it was important that I recognize that. And I, I was able to recognize that because of the years of failed attempts to find the right medications. And so I never missed a day when I was start, when I started taking, um, bipolar meds and found the ones that worked, I never missed a day. I was extremely consistent and that consistency carried over into every aspect of my life. You know, I, I woke up early. I went to, I, I went to bed early. I ate healthy. I worked out regularly. Um, I, I got in school. I stayed in school. I got a good job. I, I found consistency across my life. Right. Mm. And that was so helpful for me because I was so used to being so erratic. I was so high and then I was so low. And I was everywhere in between, but the consistency helped me find a balance. And as soon as I started finding a balance of like, okay, so this is how, this is how normal people function. This is how normal people think like, this is good. Okay. So now it's like, what do I enjoy? What do I want to do? What do I want to spend my time doing? And I started finding balance in my relationships with my wife, my friends, my family, being outdoors, doing hobbies and those things. And so the consistency led to the balance and the balance, I think, in my opinion, is really what led me to a point where I was comfortable to start tapering off medication around age 25 mm -hmm. because I knew like I have a good inkling at what a balanced, healthy, normal life looks like. I think I can keep this up on my own. And I, it was funny because after our first podcast, you're like, Austin, I wish you would have told that story about, you know, getting that letter from this, the doctor yeah. where he signed off. And so this is a perfect segue for me to tell that because I know we're probably kind of short on time, but, it, um, I, and I sent you the, after yes, conversation, did, did, I, yeah. I sent you a screenshot. I was like, I told you, bro, this is real. This is exactly how this happened. I went into his office at one of our appointments and I said, Hey, look, I'm 25. Just like you said, I'm ready to start tapering this off. And he's like, okay, Austin, here's the plan. And we laid this whole plan out and he's like, it's going to take six months. We're going to very slowly just taper, taper, taper and see how you feel. Again, the biggest thing for me was I was consistent the whole time. I found the balance. I knew like, this is where I should be. This is my new baseline. This is my normal. If I get too far up, up or too far down, I know something's wrong. And I was ready to call him. I was ready to get back on the meds. I was ready to do my part. Right. I wasn't just going to be like, yeah, screw this. I'm done. Mm. Okay. So I was accountable. We tapered, tapered, tapered six months, go back in. And I'm like, doc, I'm feeling great. Check this out. And I brought, I, I, I basically requested, I was like, this is what I need from you. <laughs> and uh, I was like, I need you to put my name on this, date it, everything. Say I was your patient, say what I had. And I want you to completely release me from your care. And um, basically, basically, basically take the, the label off, you know, sorry, hmm. this is hard for me, man. Cause this, this really was like one of the biggest turning points in my life because I told him like, I need you to do this. This is important to me because I'm going to move on. I'm going to move forward and I don't want to be stuck with this in the back of my head for the rest of my life. I don't want this label hanging over me, right? I want to 
have all these big hopes and all these dreams. And for the first time in my life, I'm healthy, I'm balanced, I'm doing what I should, and I know I can do this myself. And I don't want this being a crutch. Mm. And he signed it, you know, he filled out, he signed it, he gave it back to me. And I was just like, I walked out of there feeling like this huge like elephant was lifted off of me, bro. Mm. And it was like, it was something that was so, I don't, I, I don't know if anyone's ever done that. I don't know if any, if that's the first time he's seen that, yeah, yeah. but I was like, man, this is so important to me that you as my doctor who helped me get from A to Z releases me from your care once and for all and uh and that was it man that was huge for me mm. no i know it's amazing bro and i said to you it's 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 a wonderful thing that you were able to do it and i think it's really important and i think it's a great a great testament to the work that you did and the progress that you made but i think a lot of us don't have that and that's what i mean is we don't have this major thing in our life where we can get the certificate and i talked to you a little mm -hmm. bit ago about how i was frustrated about certain things in my life where i couldn't get that sign off but i think we need to do that for ourselves because so many people like they live with this label their whole life and they just don't let go mm -hmm. of it. And you know, for you to have done that at 25, I think it's a wonderful story. It's been awesome having you on because I think it's so important. It doesn't have to be bipolar. It just can be mm -hmm. certain labels that you had from school time, certain labels right. that you've had through relationships, bad relationships or something, certain labels that you have, oh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bad dad or oh, I'm someone that doesn't care about other people or I've got an anger problem or, you know, these things that we kind of label ourselves with. And for me, it's something that I've realized for my life. I mean, I've got to do the work. I'm the same as you. I realize like it's, it's, it doesn't matter. It's like about doing the work. It's about consistency. You mentioned that thing with me. It's like doing it every day. So now I'm on Terrence Mitchell's like um, yeah. 30 days of discipline. And every morning it's a freaking insane workout. And I've done two. <laughs> it's like takes so long for me. But it's, it's this yeah. thing of just realizing that these things in our life that we put in place, you've got to keep on doing them and not become complacent because it's that complacency that kills because you go, ah, you know, I've been working out for a while. Now I can sit down and just do whatever for a week and I don't have to worry. Or, you know, oh, I don't have to keep reading. or I don't have to keep getting up early or meditating or those things that push us forward. Now it won't be the same for you as it's for me, but I've realized there are certain things that I need to put in place. I even said this to my wife yesterday. I said, it's just amazing how much power everybody has and they don't know it. They don't know that power that they have in just doing, doing things. I said, it's not a mental thing. It's not of how they're feeling. It's about if you can just arrange your life in a way that works for you and understand that getting out there, working out, eating differently, stop watching so much TV, get the, get the hell off your freaking phone, stop negative self-talk, like rather do an, if you need to, I'm not an affirmations kind of guy really, but if you need yeah. to do that. And I just, it's amazing to me to watch my life change like yours. Um, I mean, obviously, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not minimizing what you went through because that's extreme. No. But it gives me the hope. When I saw your message, I was like, freak, I've got to talk to this guy, not just for the listeners, but for myself. Because yeah. you see someone that has gone from there to there in 10 years, and I'm 42 now, and I've never been in that extreme place that you have been. Then it makes me think, like, get your shit together, Tom, because everyone else is depending on you. And you've got your two kids, you've got your wife. And yeah, we are running up against time. My other podcast guys are probably waiting for I me. Know. And, I'm sorry, but, dude. But no, no, don't be sorry. I mean, I, I appreciate you doing this. But it's so important for us to cut the shit as, as men and, and understand that it does take hard work. And if someone like you can work so hard and go through such an emotionally tumultuous time with your wife at your side, I mean, wow, kudos to her. Because I know yeah. what that can be like for partners when men aren't uh, behaving in the ways that they probably should have, you know. And it's really, it's, it's really great to have got to, to speak to you. and. 
as I said, it's like we've known each, it's like we've known each other for a while. We'll probably have to catch yeah. up again because it's so weird. I do these shows and I think like, what am I going to talk about? How are we going to fill an hour often? And then I'm like, at the end, I'm going like, okay, geez, how am I going to finish this thing? Because <laughs> yeah, there's so much, and um, but it just, it's it's really cool, man. So I don't want to go on about it, but I really think that that story about your your um, certificate that you got from your doctor. I think that is just something that we all need to do. We need to eventually give ourselves that certificate and work towards that day where we leave behind those negative behaviors. We leave behind those negative impressions of ourselves. We leave behind caring what every person in the world thinks who doesn't matter. That doesn't mean not caring about like the guys that you are friends with and that I know. Yes, you care what they think because that's a different kind of thing, but not worrying about what the world thinks and hiding behind masks. So, I'm working towards that. I encourage other dads to work towards being able to actually write. I, I can't wait, bro. I'm going to try not to get emotional as well, but like, I can't wait till I can write my own little letter and go, I've put that yeah. behind me. I've put that negative, harmful behavior that harms me, harms my kids, harms my family, harms everything behind me and go, mm-hmm. clean bill of health, bro. Carry yeah, on with life it. and win. Yeah. So yeah. thanks for making the time again, bro. I really appreciate it. And I'm glad I connected with you. Such a cool story and, and, and really, Thank really you. powerful, man. So I'm humbled, man. Thank you so much for having me on twice. (laughs) (laughs) So apologies for that Manning laughing, but that wraps up my conversation with Austin Legg. I think you'll agree what a powerful story, how impactful the things that he's been through, the journey that he's that he's taken, the people that have supported him, the admitting to his mistakes, being honest and open with people, talking about his issues, not hiding behind a mask, and then seeing huge change in his life where he can really step up as a man, as a father, and as a husband. And I think I know I'm on this journey. I hope that you're on this journey as well, and that we are also taking into consideration the things in our life that we need to change, the things that we need to draw a line under. So guys, thanks so much for listening. Remember to develop that strong mind, that strong body, and that strong character to love actively, lead effectively, and then leave that legacy. So until next time, stay Dead strong.